welcome to the Lewis and Kyle Show, a podcast where my friend Lewis and I interview amazing, incredible people, some of the coolest, most interesting people in the world. And today, it's no different. In this episode, we chat with Jeremy Miner. Jeremy made over $30 million in 17 years in sales, all as an employee. That's not with starting a business. That's not doing anything entrepreneurial. That's just being an absolute Chad, as the kids say, when it comes to making deals and grabbing commissions. Recently, Jeremy came out of retirement after making that bag, also like the kids say, and started teaching others how to dramatically improve as sales professionals. And in the process, he's racked up a combined following of almost 1 million people across his various social channels because his sales content is apparently, as you're going to find out, just that good. In the coming months, he's going to publish a book called The New Model of Selling, How to Sell to an Unsellable Generation. And he's got a lot of stuff in the works. This episode covers the basics of what he teaches people to get better at sales. It's called the NEPQ formula or NEPQ. He has his preferred version and we have that many debates in the episode. We discuss the mistakes he thinks far too many people make when learning how to be good at sales. I guess they don't really learn how to do them because they're mistakes. And if they weren't doing them, they'd be better at sales. Anyway, uh, we also discuss human psychology and how it relates to this whole discussion of persuasion and everything else. And as always in the Lewis and Kyle show, we discuss a whole lot more. I'm going to do a quick snippet of me telling you about our sponsor, and then we will get this party started. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by our friends at VASA, the virtual assistant staffing agency. We hired our first virtual assistants from VASA to assist with our operations running the show back in June. But VASA is not just for podcast editors. If you need some extra hands to free up your time, let VASA help you with hiring for administrative, technical, and creative work. That's graphic design, cold callers, social media managers, sales reps, video editors, admin assistants, and more. Free up your time to focus on your highest impact work and learn more about VASA at vastaffing.agency or by clicking the link in the show notes to schedule a free strategy session with their team. Alrighty, back to the show. Jeremy, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show. Lewis and Kyle, thanks for having me on. It's a privilege and a pleasure to be with you here today, especially that I found out that Lewis is close by here in Arizona. Who would have thought? I had no idea. There you go. Yeah, I'm glad you're fired up because hopefully this one will get you going. What sales advice do you hear very often? And when you hear it, you just get get angry because of how violently wrong it is. <laughs> I love these guys. How violently wrong it is. Uh, there's a lot of different things. I'd say probably one of the biggest myths out there that so many salespeople keep buying into. And they buy into it because, where's that book on my show? How to Win Friends and Influence People book. You know the book, it's up here somewhere. I don't know where it's at. So you know that book by Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People? Well, I really piss people off when I say this. It's a really, really good book, okay? But the issue is it was written in 1936. And I hate to tell everybody, your prospects you're talking to have way different buying behaviors than they did in 1936. There's a lot of going, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of distractions in our world today as far as advertising, TV, social media, billboards, radio, we're being sold to 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that the prospects in his time just didn't, didn't go through, all right? So there's different walls of resistance that our brains have encountered since then. So one of the biggest myths that we always hear is like, oh, you gotta get the prospect to like you. You gotta sell you first. If they like you, they're gonna buy. But the data does not show that. It sounds good, okay? But prospects in our day and age don't buy from the person they like the most, they buy from the people who they feel can get them the best result. Now, if they like you, that's just a bonus. 
okay? But nobody buys just because they like you. It's not like you just buy from Uncle Uncle Joe because you like Uncle Joe the most, right? Same, I'll give you an example. You probably buy most of your stuff from Amazon. Now, you don't necessarily love Jeffrey Bezos, right? You probably like your neighbor who has the local retail store down the road. You like him better, but you're going to buy from Amazon because they get you a better result. People buy from people who they feel can get them the best result. If they like you, that is a bonus. But sitting there getting on sales calls and saying, how are you doing today, Luke? How's your day going over there? Uh, who won the game last night? How's the weather over in Dallas? Quite literally, your prospects know that you are genuinely not interested when you ask them how their damn days go, right? It's because every single salesperson who's ever tried to sell them anything from a vacuum cleaner to a car to SaaS to, you know, a jumbo jet, it doesn't matter, always begins the conversation with, how's your day going? And they know, even if you are genuinely interested, which most salespeople aren't, they feel that you're not interested because everybody asks them that question. So you want to avoid sounding like every other salesperson does, because if you sound the same, guess what happens with your prospect? They emotionally shut down and they stay surface level with you. And then at the end of that conversation, even the very best questions you ask them, they get they give you one or two or three word responses. You can tell when you're on the call with them, right? And then at the end, what objection do you get? Sounds good, but I just need the time to think it over. I need to talk with my spouse. I need to do more research. I need to keep looking around at other companies. I need to get more quotes. And then you're chasing them. Such an ugly and hard way to try to make a sale. It, and it doesn't have to be that way. So that's, I mean, that's just one out of about a million things that, that ticks me off when I hear it because it works against human behavior. And we want to learn techniques that actually work with human behavior that trigger the prospect to want to engage and open up to us. Because once we learn how to get your prospects to let their guard down, they become open to what you're offering. Selling becomes way easier. Make sense? Does make sense. Some violent disagreement. That's what I know, man. I'm going off on. I I go off on rants sometimes. You got to be careful. Makes our job easy. Everyone likes a good rant. Is there anyone you think has it right in terms of books today? So a lot of podcast people like books. They like to just grab something off the shelf and read it. Anyone who's up to speed in what they're saying, because everything gets dated when you're trying to be really tactical with advice. But Mm -hmm. kind of in this narrow scope of time we're on right now, are there a book or books that you think get it more? Well, I think there's some really good books on human behavior because I think once you understand why a human being makes the decision to go left or right or to do this or do that, and you understand the way the brain works, it's a lot easier to sell. If you don't understand that and you're just kind of winging it out there, you're just kind of hoping and praying it's going to work out. You know, I call that hopium. You're taking the hopium drug, right? Where you just hope and pray that something you're going to say, some pitch deck is going to magically trigger the prospect to want to buy. And that's a very unpredictable way to make a living. So let me give you a few of my favorite books, okay? And I'll give you our book that is being published by Morgan James Publishing. You can get it at any airport while you're walking around or Barnes and Noble here in a couple months. And I'll give you guys access to that if you want. So a couple of good books that I found that are actually legit. Anything by Robert Caldini. You heard of Robert Caldini, Persuasion. Those are really good books. It's going to kind of go over the psychology of buying, like psychology of the way the human brain works. It's not necessarily going to teach you like, oh, when you make a cold call, you're going to ask this question with that right tone because he's a professor, right? He's not a sales professional or trainer, but he's going to teach you the psychology behind why the human brain does certain things. And once you understand that, it becomes easier. I think Daniel Pink has some really good books. One is called To Sell as Human. That's more theory on how buying behaviors have changed because if you don't understand how your prospects are changing and evolving, 
you can't keep up with modern day times and you just kind of get left behind in the dust. I think those are two really good books. I got a good friend that's a sales trainer named Mark Wayshack. He has a really good book on sales leadership and how to drive culture. Um, that is called The High Velocity Organization. It's a really good book, especially if you're in B2B sales. This can be applied to B2C sales too, a lot of what he goes over there. I think those are really good. You know, Never Split the Difference with Chris Foss is a good book on negotiation, but yeah, that's a really good book if you're kind of negotiating different deals and stuff. And it's got a few sales things you can get in there. And then a lot of people would say our new book that's called The New Model of Selling, Selling to an Unsellable Generation. I co-authored that with a good friend of mine named Jerry Acuff. He's the CEO of Delta Points, a very large sales consulting firm on the East Coast out of Virginia. And we kind of peel back the layers and give very tactical advice. One thing that always triggered me when I was your age in sales is I'd read these sales books and it would just be fluff. Like every page would say the same thing, but written a different way. And I'm like, okay, I get it that I need to set goals. I get it that uh, I want to work hard. That makes sense. I think I already know that. I get it that, uh, you know, I need to uh, listen to personal development and be pumped up. But what do I say when the prospect says hello? What questions am I supposed to ask? If the prospect says this, what am I supposed to ask about? What am I supposed to say about? Like there was nothing hardly tactical. There was a few books here and there that give you a few pointers. But I'm like, I want more meat. And so when Jerry and I put this book together, we wanted to give really an overview of how selling has changed and the reasons behind it. But we also wanted to, sh to help the reader know what to say and what to ask when they're in conversations for outbound leads, inbound leads, and just give different examples where they can actually read the book and go out and use it and actually make more sales. So I think people will find that. You can purchase it online for pre-sale right now online, okay, at different, on I can't, I'm not supposed to say the A word from the publisher, but you can get it from like anywhere online pre-sale. And then if you wanna walk into like a bookstore like Barnes and Noble or like walking by the airport, it'll be in there. March 15th of 2023. So you got to wait a few months. We'll have links in the description to the book and to the marketing materials for that. We're all excited to read it. What is, I think, probably one of the concepts that you lay out in the book that you've talked about for a while, NEPQ or NEPQ? Uh, can NEPQ? you briefly go over that? What is it? It's NEPQ. NEPQ. <laughs> I got it right the first time. I love that. Hey, I love that, man. It's just, it's a, I forgive you. I forgive you. <laughs> forgiveness we forgive here in the company. It's all right. Now I've heard people say NEPQ. I'm like, oh, NEPQ, interesting. What, what's NEPQ? All right, so let me let me do this. This might be easier. I'm gonna break down. So, so my background in college, okay, when I was in school, like 150 years ago, was behavioral science and human psychology. That's what I was majoring in, okay, which is really the study of the brain. Why a human being decides to go left or right or up or down, how they make decisions, okay? Might be important if you're in sales to understand this. So according to behavioral science, and if you, if you guys are driving right now, you're just going to have to listen. If you're in a place where you can write this down, write this down. Because once you understand the different levels of persuasion, okay, and where you are now, even if you're already doing good compared to where you could be, it'll completely change everything for you, okay? So there are three modes of communication according to the data. The first mode, I'm going to give you the, the non-scientific terms to make it easy for everybody to understand. Because if I... We prefer the bro science most of the time. Oh, you the choice. okay. All right. So the first mode of communication, okay, is era one type of sales. Let me ask you this question. If I said the, the words boiler room selling, what's the first image that comes to your mind right now? Of Wall Street. Right? The movie. 
you automatically go to like, you know, some type of call floor, you know, they're calling on the phone. Smelling salts. Know. Yeah, right. All that other stuff that are doing with drugs and all that stuff. That's what immediately goes through your brain. All right. So we are the first mode of selling. We are the least persuasive. So we're the least persuasive when we tell people things or we attempt to dominate them or posture them, manipulate them, push them into some doing something we want them to do. Just like the movie, right? They get on the phone. Hey, I've got a great opportunity for you. And you talk about the features and benefits and, and why they need to purchase from you. And then you push and push and push. What does the average human being do back? They push back, right? It's just like if you have, for you guys, let's say you're, you've, got a, you've got a significant other. You've got some awesome girl. You guys have been dating for a long time. And you keep telling them that they really, really need to do something for them. And you keep pushing and pushing and pushing. What do they typically do back? Push back. It's just human behavior 101. I, I'm just not, I'm not quite sure why salespeople haven't caught on to that, right? When we push, people push back. It's just a human reaction, okay? So let me give you a few different examples of the least persuasive way to sell, all right? I'm gonna ruffle some feathers with this. Presenting. We've all been taught, you have to have an amazing presentation, show them the, the 60, you know, the 60 page slide deck and the 90 minute slides and go through how you have the best this, the best quality, the best service, the best price points, you've got this, you're the number one at this, which by the way, doesn't every single salesperson that's ever tried to sell you something say they have the best product or service? How many salespeople have ever tried to sell you something and said, yeah, Lewis, uh, we're the fifth best in the market? Nobody, they all say they're the best, right? So psychologically, when we say we are the best, there's, there's ways to do it with third-party val validation, which is much more persuasive. But when it comes from you and you say you're the number one this and you're the number one that, and you talk down about your competition, it actually triggers your prospects to trust you far less than they did before. And why is that? Because they're used to every single salesperson who's ever tried to sell them anything, say the exact same thing. So they commoditize you immediately, trigger sales resistance, all right? According to the data, it's not very persuasive if your presentation is more than 10% of your entire sales process. Now, here's the problem. The average salesperson in both B2C sales and B2B, their average presentation is 50% of their entire sales process. You're just, it's going in one ear out the other. Okay, there's no emotional dots here. Telling your story. Hate to tell you this. Nobody cares about your story when you're selling one-to-one. -one. Whose story do they mainly care about? Their story. Their story, right? What about giving a sales pitch? We're all, we, all in this thing. We're like, oh, give them a great pitch. But according to the data, very low on the persuasion pool. You guys ever watch uh, Shark Tank on CNBC? I've seen it. You, uh, maybe, possibly. Okay. Probably. So if you watch CNBC yeah. Shark Tank, I want take a look at it because you watch the reruns. Yeah, watch when the entrepreneurs come out and they start pitching the sharks like Damon John and Mr. Wonderful and Barbara and Mark Cuban and all of them in there. Watch the body language when they go into pitch mode. Watch how the shark's like, oh, right? It just triggers sales. It sounds awkward and weird, right? Putting sales pressure on them, right? And the big one, assuming the sale, especially early in a conversation before there's any trust or credibility built. Corded in the data, very low in the persuasion poll, especially if you're in more of a complex sound environment that requires more than one conversation. Okay, now that's the first mode. Now the second mode of communication, that's more known as consultative selling. I'm gonna put it in a word anybody would understand, consultative selling. That came out in the 80s with books like Spin Selling by Neil Rackham. There were some other authors and books. Neil Rackham, great book, never sold anything by the way. He's a college professor. And he taught from the data that you needed to ask logical-based questions to find out the needs of the client. But what's a potential downfall 
when you only ask logical-based questions. We call those surface-level questions. Well, your prospect's going to give you what type of answers in return? Surface-level answers. And do your prospects make buying decisions on emotion or logic? Emotion. emotion. Brain studies show that, right? We all know that, all right? So if you're asking questions like, uh, John, tell me two problems that keep you awake at night. Don't ask that question. Every salesperson asks prospects that same question. It just triggers sales resistance. Or who besides you would be involved in that decision? Or what are you looking for in a solution? Those are vague, surface-level questions. Your prospects are never going to go deep unless they're just an easy laydown. They're closer questions. Yeah. Don't ask closer questions because then they feel like you're trying to close them. When you become really, really good as a sales professional, you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year or more in commissions working for a company. Guess what? Prospects don't even feel like they were on a sales call. That's what you want. Because if your prospects come away feeling like they're on a sales call, most of them aren't going to buy. Or if they do buy, they're going to cancel or they're going to have some type of buyer's remorse. So when you get really good as a sales professional, your prospects don't even feel like they were being sold to. They feel like you are doing them a favor for them to be able to send you money to solve their problems and get them the results they want. Like you're doing them a favor for them to pay you. That's how you know you've really mastered the art of persuasion and selling, all right? So that's kind of the second mode. So it's more persuasive than boy the room selling, push, 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 manipulate, manipulate, but you're still playing the numbers game because you're bringing very little emotion out of your prospects by asking logical-based questions. Now that's the second mode. Now the third mode of selling, the most persuasive according to the data, the behavioral science, is we're the most persuasive, it's air three, it's called dialogue, all right? So we're the most persuasive when we allow others to persuade themselves when we ask what are called neuro-emotional persuasion questions. That stands for NEPQ, no, NEPQ, not NEPQ, <laughs> right? I'm just giving you a hard time, Kyle. We forgive you over here. So that stands for NEPQ, neuro-emotional persuasion questions. Now, here's the $1 trillion question. See, we don't work in millions or billions now, it's trillions in this day and age. Here's the $1 trillion question that people ask me when I say that. They're like, Jeremy, how do I get somebody to persuade themselves? Do I just show up and say, hey, Lewis, persuade yourself. Here's our bank wire details. Just persuade yourself and just, you know, ping me when you send the money. No, you have to learn specific skill questions and when and how to ask those questions. Like what tone are you asking certain questions? Is it more of a skeptical tone? Is it more of a curious tone? Is it more of a empathetic tone? depending on where you're at in that sales process that trigger the prospect to pull you in and sell themselves rather than you trying to push them forward. You see the difference in that? You guys with me? I'm staying with you. I was reading, uh, I don't know if you're follow gong.io much, but they have some pretty interesting LinkedIn content. They're like a, a sales intelligence platform and they have a stat that so you know everyone or not everyone but in my business we use an automatic transcript creator for every sales call right just because it's super helpful to get the specific details for sending a follow-up right you're not just like using your own language you're using their language and like the follow-up like you can quote it instead of relying on your memory uh, but another feature is like it shows the talk time breakdown yeah so and they they basically you know for all their clients at gong record and transcribe every conversation they say the most deals happen when the client does at least 70 percent of the talking or the perspective, the prospect is at least 70% of the talking. And that's like not abstract. That's like we're on a million sales calls, million hours recorded dialogue. And yeah. these are when the closing happens. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Typically, when you learn what we train you, you're going to have your prospect talking about 90% of the time. 
quite literally, they're going to feel like you want to have to be there. <laughs> you're just a facilitator taking them down the yellow brick road, right? They feel like you understand their unique situation more than anybody else on planet Earth. And because of that, they are willing to pay you far more money because they feel like you understand their situation so much more than anybody else because of your questioning and your tonality building. They don't know why. And you know why, because you're in control of that conversation. And they're doing all the talking, okay? And they feel understood. When your prospect feels understood, I can assure you, they are gonna buy from you 99.9% .9 of the time compared to your competition that's just trying to stuff their solution down their throat. See the difference? So how do you become a sales trainer? Like, what's the... Uh, how did I become a sales trainer? Mm -hmm. Well, I came out of retirement about four years ago. So I had a 17-year sales career, okay? I uh, sold in four different industries. Two were B2C, business to consumer, and two were B2B, business to business. Right? Can I understand both of them like the back of my hand? So in my 17-year career, I mean, you... If you want to Google me, you can, but I made a bit under 33 million in straight commissions from my career. No salary at all. Okay. This is a 1099 rep or a W2 rep. So I saved my money pretty good besides half of it that the IRS took, I invested pretty diligently. And after a 17 year career, I'm like, I think I'm done with this. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I retired and I just kind of sat around for a year and read a bunch of books. I'm an avid book reader and probably back in 2017, somewhere in that range. Yeah, because it started in 2000. So it'd been about 2017, almost 2018. I started seeing all these ads on Facebook and IG and YouTube from all the sales gurus. And they were talking about like, oh, sales is a numbers game. Be excited. Show them how you're excited. Like all this stuff that I preach against. And I was like, man, if I sold that way, I would have made about 95% less. That sucks that people are buying into that training when I know it's not gonna give them the result that they want. So I felt like, in a sense, like what I had learned, because I think, I think God all gives us a certain ability. But if we wanna be great, we have to take that little bit of ability he's given us and we have to expand on that times a thousand, right? So during my career, you know, I started reading five books a month for 22 years straight. 22 years straight, five books a month, just do the math. Now I, I learned that, because my very first sales training event I went to as a 21-year-old kid when I was in school, college, and it was by a guy named Brian Tracy. You guys heard of Brian Tracy? He's written, yes. he's written like 50 books. He's, yeah. you know, he's a good dude. I'm actually really good friends with him. So Brian said this, and there was a whole lot that he trained on. But he said, look, if you want to be great, you know, when you're driving down the road, use your car as a university on wheels. You guys have heard that before. And so I'm like, okay, I'll do that. So I started listening to two audio books a month while I was driving around. Not books on like science fiction or some romantic novel, because how much money is that going to make, right? But books on persuasion and influence. And I started reading three books a month. So reading three books, listening to two audiobooks, five books a month times 12 months a year. That's about 60 books a year times 22 years. That's almost 1,400 books. And if you're in the trenches using it in and out and you're going through other courses, you just kind of become really good at selling and persuasion when you have that type of knowledge. And so when I saw all these ads from the gurus and I'm like, man, that doesn't even work. Like when you say to use that, if I did that in my career, I would have got punched in the face with all these different objections. So I felt like obligated that I needed to do something. And plus people had always told me like, dude, you need to start your own sales training company. There's always companies reaching out to me like, can you do consulting for us? Like we'll pay you a hundred grand to come in for a day. And I was like, no, 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 I'm retired. I'm done. 
And so I finally was just like, you know what, I'm going to do something about this. And we hopped in and we've had some, some pretty crazy growth. Not me saying it, but Inc. Magazine saying it. So we were ranked in the last two years. We've got the third party we're, approval coming Third party. Here. Not me saying it, because who cares what I say? But if you look in Inc., I'm a contributor for Inc. Magazine now as well. We were ranked the number one fastest growing sales training company the last two years straight. We'll probably win it for 2022 as well with our growth by Inc. Magazine. So there's a reason for that. We train close to 400,000 salespeople now in 158 different industries. According to Forbes, there's only 158 industries with different subsets. We're in all of those at this point. I know I used to think there was like 20,000 industries, only 158, and there's subsets of each one. So we're in all those at this point. Got over close to, well, a little bit over 10,000 testimonials at this point. So according to people that we've hired from other sales training companies, we've got more testimonials than companies that have been around for 30 to 50 years. But there's a reason. Wow. We're teaching techniques that work with human behavior rather than work against it. That's a massive difference. And when you understand that and your prospects open up to you, like they totally, you, you know how to like get them to let their guard down. Conversations become pretty easy at that point because people want to, they want to buy, like they legitimately want their problem solved and get the result. But typically it's the salesperson's lack of communication and their sales ability that stands in the way from that person purchasing the product or service to get what they want. It's not the prospect fault, it's our fault. And once I understood that as, as a very young salesperson, 21, 22, that it wasn't the prospect's fault, because that's what everybody in my office would say, like, these leads suck, our prospects have a bad mindset, they have a fear mindset, they have a broke mindset, everybody's broke. And I started learning like, oh, I think what I'm saying is triggering the prospect to say they don't have money. Not necessarily they don't have the money because it's not like the money doesn't exist. I mean, the money's there. It's just a priority of where they're currently spending that same money. So if I can get the prospect to see that my product or service, not by telling them, because that's going to go in one ear out the other, but my questioning ability allows them to see such a big gap from where they are, their current state, compared to where they want to be, their objective state, what's the gap in the middle, all these newfound problems that my questioning ability has allowed them to now see they have, they didn't know before that call. And once they see that, okay, they become very open. And all of a sudden they take that money they were spending on this, this, and this. And now your product or service is more of a priority for them to move that money to that. See, once I start to understood that, and I didn't blame the prospect, I blame me. And I took responsibility and I needed to learn like, oh, like if I'm getting this objection here, I'm saying something that's triggering that. And so once I changed that, well, I didn't get that same objection anymore. I'm like, wow, I don't hardly get any objections anymore. It's like most of my sales are lay down and wow, I'm making all this money. I'm making five times more than anybody in my industry. And I don't hardly get any objections. And people are like, what, how, how do you not get objections? Well, I know how to prevent the objection from even happening in their brain. And when you, when you learn objection prevention, and you're still going to get some objections here and there, but when you learn objection prevention, and you learn how to build massive trust in the prospect's brain where they view you as the expert or as the trusted authority, and they have an objection, they view you, they trust you more to help them overcome it. Does that make sense? Because if you're hard selling them and then they have an objection, then use a rebuttal, and then they kind of push, push, push back, they don't trust you enough to really collaborate with you. And that's one thing that I see that so many sales trainers are still doing. They're teaching that selling is adversarial. Like it's you against the prospect trying to manipulate and win them over so you can make money. That's what average salespeople do in our day and age. 
If you want to be a top 1% earning person and make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, maybe millions of dollars a year, as a freaking employee of a company, as a salesperson, you have to start viewing that selling is collaborating. Collaborated. It's you working with the prospect to help them find and solve problems that they didn't know they have. Once you understand the difference, you can make a ton more money than you are now. Carl, let's do a couple of rapid fire questions and then wrap up. What's your favorite zero to hero student story? Like someone that came in, was horrible at selling, and now they're just an incredible. Uh, oh, here's changer. my favorite story because we hire within, we only hire clients that understand our methodology. Right. So typically clients will come to us like, I want to work for you. If we're not training their companies, then we might possibly hire them. If we're training their companies, it's a conflict of interest. We can't hire them. Right. It's just kind of our rule. But there's this one gentleman who is now the chief revenue officer of the entire company. And this dude makes over a million dollars a year now with bonuses and salary and, and options that he has, equity he has in the company, makes well over a million dollars a year. Three years ago, this dude was selling fitness packages. He was making $5,000 a month. He became a client. He got into our advanced inner circle. The next year, he went from 60 grand to 800,000 in commissions. 60 grand. The next year, selling the exact same thing. Exact same thing. Same job. The same lead, same job. Nothing changed, just his conversions. He went to over 800,000 in commissions. Okay. The next year, he made over a million in commissions because he kept learning. Okay. Still a client. And then my CEO and I, my business partner is like, we need to hire him because this guy's a savage and let's make him our chief revenue officer. And we're going to bring in outside consultants from like huge corporations. We have several people on our board that are CMOs for very large fortune 100 and 500 companies. And we're going to have them teach Marco how to bring our marketing internal. And Marco's going to figure that out. And he has, and our ads just shot up. That is a very big success story. And it's near and dear to my heart because now this guy has equity in my company. And three years ago, he's making five grand a month. So good things can happen when you learn the right skills. I like that. Who's the smartest person that you know? Smartest person I know would be in what subject though? Who comes to mind? Just like, you're like, that's just a genius, like other level. I think Tony Robbins is pretty smart. You know, I really love Tony Robbins because I like to watch him at events and YouTube because I know when he goes out on stage, like typically what he's doing. So when he's saying, and you're, you know, and, and my dad said, you will fail. Well, he's not talking about a story to him. He's implying that to his audience where it triggers their emotional triggers and gets them into an emotional state. There's everything he does when he walks around in that crowd. Psychologically, there's a reason to what he's asking and saying that's triggering his prospects to want to change their situation. And to want to change your situation, they're going to need more advanced training from him because you can't do that in two days. So I think Tony Robbins is brilliant with that. There you go. Is there anything other than sales and sales training that you'd say you're obsessed with at the moment? Obsessed with history. I read a lot of books on World War II. My grandfather landed on Omaha Beach as an 18-year-old kid back in 1941. So I'm obsessed with like World War II and European history. And I actually love reading and watching ancient aliens. I know that's kind of a weird thing, but I love ancient aliens. Definitely believe in, in other planets and other beings. Maybe they look like us. Maybe we just don't know yet. So I love, I love ancient aliens and world history. I know I'm a weirdo. Does money buy happiness? No, but it does give you a lot more options. Money doesn't make you happy. It just gives you a lot more options to be able to help more people. Because if you don't have any money, hate to tell you, you don't have many options to help people financially, right? So if you've got a 
somebody you love that needs cancer treatments that the insurance doesn't cover. Well, if you don't make very much money, you can't really help them pay that, right? So money doesn't buy happiness. It just gives you a lot more options in your life and a lot more options are a lot of fun, right? Mm -hmm. Do you have anything that you've bought that the allure didn't go away? Like, you know, there's a lot of things that I've like really wanted and then I picked it up and got it. And then I was like, I don't care about this anymore. A month yeah, later. Is there anything? I would say cars okay. probably about 10 years ago, because I've been buying Range Rovers since I was probably 25, 26. I get a new Range Rover every two years. I'm obsessed with Range Rovers, but now I don't really care. I still buy one every two years, but I'm kind of like, yeah, whatever. Right. So that's kind of cars. I even bought like a, a brand new before Maserati became a cheaper car. Like 10 years ago, it was like the bomb car. It was like buying a Bentley was the same thing as a Maserati. So I remember when I bought my first Maserati, I want to say 10, 11 years ago, about the Quattro Porte or whatever, which is way more money than it costs now. It's probably 50 grand less than what it used to be. I remember like the feeling of that car. But then after like a month or two, I'm like, eh, it's not that big. So cars, cars don't do it for me like it used to back in the day. After you buy a bunch of nice cars, you're kind of like, yeah, whatever. You've hinted at the key thing for a lot of people is the right knowledge, the right skills. I know you give tons out for free. And again, tons out if people want to kind of escalate the various offerings you have. What's like the best start here point? For yeah, I think, if you, I think if your listeners want to get like little nibbles from us, like little hors d'oeuvres, okay? Have them join our free Facebook group. It's called Sales Revolution. That'll be a good place for them to get kind of acquainted with what we teach. So have them go to salesrevolution.pro, salesrevolution.pro. And right when they, I think we have about 37,000 or so people in that one group. We started about a little bit over a year ago, whatever. but they're sales professionals, just like everybody or entrepreneurs or coaches in there. And right when they join, I'll have somebody in our team, have them check their uh, Facebook messenger. And I'll have somebody on my team message them over a free training called the NEPQ 101 mini course. It's a mini course where my CEO, Matt Ryder, breaks down NEPQ a lot more than what I just did there. And we'll give them some sample questions they use for whatever they sell in their industry that will help them sell more. And we go live in the Facebook group probably three or four times a week with different trains, different Q&As, different subject matters. And then if they want like more advanced training than our free content, of course, they can always message us in the Facebook group and they can book on a call with one of our team members that will go over different options for their industry. Does that help? It's very helpful. I think, uh, you know, the Tony Robbins quote, like the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your questions. Same thing with the quality of your, your sales success, apparently. So, Jeremy, thank uh, you so much. 100%. If you want to make a lot of money as a sales professional, because I hate to tell you guys, you're going to work the same amount of hours. So if you're going to work 40 hours a week, why not convert three times more than you are now and make three times more? Why make less when you could make more, right? So, yeah, if you want to make more, I'd have them start there at salesrevolution.pro. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Jeremy. You come up and see us anytime. Our offices are here in Scottsdale Quarter. You hit me up. I'll hit you up. USA headquarters are anyways. Cool. Okay, gentlemen. And that wraps up our conversation with Jeremy Miner. Uh, super interesting guy, obviously. I have three quick takeaways. Number one, this one is a little basic. You got it in the interview, but the quality of your questions determines the quality of your life. It's just a fact. Um, the more that you can train yourself to ask better questions, the better your life will be. That's something that I need to hear more. Number two is just about outdated materials. I think it's interesting that they can be right. Like he said, there's a lot of good information in the book, but it's just dated and there's new information that's come out. People are different now. And I think that you should apply that to, you know, all of the content that you read. It's not like 
things that were written in the 30s directly apply to today. So just look at stuff through that lens. And then number three, the one thing you said that really stood out to me was those top salespeople, when they get off their sales calls, the client doesn't think that they were on a sales call. And I think that that really resonates and is kind of like what he's trying to create. And also the concept of sales resistance and how it can be triggered by um, salespeople being salesy. And I felt that in my own right. Like anytime someone tries to be salesy to me, I hate it. I tried to buy a suit one time. The guy was salesy. I haven't stopped talking about it since. Talked to my girlfriend. It was horrible. I've never seen Kyle in a suit. Exactly. did not occur, ladies and gentlemen. Exactly. And if he had fitted me, done the, the NEPQ on me, maybe I'd be dappered up, but I'm just not. So that's the, that's the lessons from Kyle today. That's the lessons from Kyle today. I'm in uniform mode. You know, when Drake says he's going into album mode, it means he's like, turn off the distractions, get to work. I'm in uniform mode. Black t-shirt, fruit of the loom every day, day in and day out, just till Torah off the grinds, which will happen. Anyway, three takeaways for me, no one asked what I was wearing. First one is you got to work with human behavior, not against it. Like Kyle said about his, it's basic, it's obvious, stuff you got to hear more often. And this is something I wanted to say during the podcast, Lewis, until we abruptly went into the... This was the, only a 36-minute interview. We can extend these takeaways here. You know what I mean? When, it's, when you're sailing, imagine how much further you go when you're with the wind. You know what I mean? Mm. So you got to go with human behavior. Exactly. Bomb drop. Okay. Or gravity. They're like talking about gravity. That's another one. Got to go with gravity. It's really hard to fight gravity. It takes a lot of jet fuel. Most salespeople just don't have enough jet fuel in their bodies. Okay. When you work with human behavior, like Kyle said, people sell themselves. They do not just 70% of the talk time. Apparently, if you're on the phone with Jeremy, you wouldn't even notice because you're doing 90% of the talking. I like that though, because literally it's like people just get nervous and just try to convince themselves of stuff. People don't like silence. Practice and preparation. That was something I had written down too. That's kind of how you put yourself in the position for the call to go that way. And of course, always being a student of human psychology. Hopefully you learn a thing or two from listening to the show about how humans work because we bring on a lot of interesting humans that you can listen to how they work, but they also kind of tell you about how people work in the abstract according to their theories. Uh, second takeaway, I really like his ownership mentality of everyone in you know his room was blaming, oh, this list sucks, the prospect sucks, no one has money, no one wants to buy from us. It's like, nope, you just aren't doing that good at your job. You could just be doing better. So, you know, do better. It's not, most likely you're the problem, right? Maybe sometimes the setup matters, the environment matters, the circumstances matter for sure, right? This is something Hormozy says. It's like, you know, the worst salesman, if he's selling hot dogs to a lot of people who are starving, you know, you can do a good job. So the market matters, but still, maybe it's on you for not being reflective enough to like look at the situation holistically. Just don't rule out the fact, the possibility that you could be the problem. Uh, but of course, I still think markets matter. And then a third is just two helpful reframes. I like anytime you listen to someone who's like an expert on some topic, I really like when they give you reframes, right? So it's not overcoming objections. It's preventing them from even happening. I think that's pretty critical uh, and worth really thinking about deeply. And then the second is that selling is not adversarial. It is collaborative. It's not you or them. you trying to win them over. It's like you literally just trying to help this person. And will they be accepting of your help? Clearly, there's lots we can all learn from Jeremy. I would recommend the resources he recommended in the recommended resource section, which you can be finding in the show notes. He's also pretty good at the uh, the search game, the Google game. I think he wins all the searches for his name. So if you look up Jeremy Miner, you'll probably end up finding his stuff. He'll probably try to sell you his stuff, which is okay, but just you're going to learn stuff in the process. That's how this whole internet game works most of the time. 
If you feel like it, support the show in any of the following ways. Subscribe so you know about the next episode. Leave a review so we know you liked it. Listen to another one because there's always more to learn. And say hey on socials if you want to chat with myself and or Kyle. I will see you next time. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.